Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Poliafito, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Charles Wyckoff. And we're happy to welcome to Retina Synthesis, Carl Danzig from Pompano Beach, Florida. Carl, welcome to Retina Synthesis. Thanks for having me here, Dr. Poliafito and Wyckoff. Uh, it's a real honor. Uh, Carl, great to have you, man. Great to be on this with you. We've known each other a long time. So you're doing important work out there as always. So we have frisimab that's FDA approved for two indications at once. Been that way for a few months now. And you guys have put together by far the largest series of, of real world experience with it. This is important because the last drug we had in retina didn't go so well. Real world experience found some side effects and some problems with it, but this is a very different story. Really, really exciting data, really important for doctors. T tell us what you're doing and what you found. Right, so you're 100% correct. You know, one of the reasons that we put this together was to show the retina world that, you know, what the real world shows, you know, what our data shows. Now, this is not a durability study. We talked about safety and efficacy in the Truckee study, which I talked about and presented at ASRS a few weeks back. So. With this, you know, study, it's basically a collaborative effort of physicians. It's not pharmaceutical sponsored. It's our own endeavor to collect data. And what I presented was basically, you know, there were 770 injections and we looked at 421 eyes, but then we looked at those patients that follow up, you know, who had a ferisumab injection and came back. You know, and then we saw that was about 236 eyes uh, of patients at 2,400 vision or better. And the reason we chose that was because we were converting from Snellen to EDTRS. So it was a little easier that way. And um, we found good results. T tell us about that. T tell us what, what your safety endpoints were, what the efficacy signals were. We think an anatomy here. What, what, where did you see a benefit? Right. So excellent points. Excellent questions. So we looked at demographics, we looked at prior treatment history, and what we found in the, in the patient population now, most of them were switch patients. There were 28 treatment naive eyes of which we had follow up for 16 of them. So 236 eyes had follow up, 220 were previously treated. So most of the patients were those tough to treat, high need patients, the ones that we all have in our practices that were like, these patients are getting injections every four to six weeks, and these patients aren't getting younger, and they're not getting healthier. And these are the patients that want to have something else. And many of these patients were already stable. So we were not expecting, yeah. you know, big visual gains here at all. Right. Um, we were hoping that with this new drug in those patients, that we'd have stable vision and good safety. And that's what we found. We did find some improved uh, anatomy in terms of CST and PED height. It was modest, not a lot in the, you know, 236 eyes included treatment naive. It was about 32 microns decrease of uh, CST height. And that was a little bit less in the previously treated as was expected, but the vision stayed the same. And what we saw were zero cases of IOI, no cases of intraocular inflammation, no cases of occlusive retinovasculitis. Um, there was one case of endophthalmitis that was treated with tap and inject. Mm -hmm. And that patient's vision returned to baseline. Good. Um, but overall, we were happy with these results. And, um, you know, Congratulations. It, it, it's, a, it's an important 
data set. So a practical question for you. I, I'm having similar results with frisimab or Babiasma in my clinic. I'm having good anatomic outcomes, no safety signals. Lo love this data that, that's conglomerate over many doctors. What, what about the flow of clinic, right? You're used to using your pre-filled syringes and now you got to go back to the vial. Is that a, is that a, is that a, I'm, I'm serious. Is that a challenge? Is that, should we worry about having to do that and the small risk of, you know, infection? Should doctors wait for a pre-filled syringe? What's, what's your thought there? Look, we've all dealt with vials for ranibizumab, eflibercept, Brolicizumab. Um, the vials were not the issue with brolicizumab, um, <laughs> as we well know. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't even think twice about it. I mean, do I like a pre-filled syringe? 110%. It helps my flow. I think it's just easier. It's boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Um, but, you know, often, you know, my practice uses some specialty pharmacy drug that we're, we have to use. And that comes in a vial. And we make do, and I, in the end, care what I think is most efficacious for the patient. And I don't think safety is compromised really in the end by using a vial. Yeah. So what about durability of this treatment response? Any insights from Truckee? So from Truckee thus far, no, because my presentation was really about the safety and efficacy after one injection. Now, this is very early data, and we're hoping for other retina meetings like Uretina, AO, and, and next year, hopefully we'll have more opportunities to present and we'll look at durability. I mean, I have some patients that have had four injections that were tough to, you know, these tough to treat patients, but that wasn't included in the study. That wasn't part of the data time. Um, so it wasn't about durability, but, you know, I'm hopeful, especially when I look at my patient that was treatment naive, that uh, had a great anatomic response, Granted, her vision didn't improve a whole lot. I think that's more of the nature of the disease. But when you see that kind of response, you're hopeful that durability will follow suit. It's just too early to, to, to report that. What about anatomic changes? I mean, uh, in eyes with chronic intraretinal fluid, subretinal fluid being treated with aflibercept, were these eyes amenable to? resolution with furosemab? Oh, yeah, they absolutely were. I mean, and often, you know, it's the patient's, you know, anatomy that will dictate it and the type of their, their fluid. You know, we had a case of, uh, from Dr. Kanani's practice where the patient had, you know, intraretinal fluid that went away quickly with furosemab at uh, the same interval. And that was one of the keys in Truckee is that the intervals were kept the same from the prior treatment. I had a patient that was tough to treat um, who had chronic subretinal fluid. Now, I think it's important, you know, to have stable subretinal fluid versus these fluctuations for, for any of our patients on whatever drug they're on. And, you know, Justice Ellers talked about that ASRS also um, very nicely, actually. And, you know, what I found with my patient who had been treated for nine years, okay, he had been treated with all the drugs available. He's 94 year old, years old currently. He started when he was 85. Uh, and he was even enrolled in the Merlin study at one point. He was then given Q2 injections that had no response. He was alternating, you know, BUVU to ILEA, BUVU to ILEA, alternating months uh, based on the label. Uh, and he had no issues of intraocular inflammation, but 
he never had fluid resolution. After his first furisimab, at the same interval of about 33, 34, 35 days, something like that, his uh, subfovial fluid resolved for the first time. Now, his vision stayed the same. But, you know, that patient's hopeful that, hey, I'm 94, hopefully they don't have to see my face every month anymore. That's exciting. You guys are doing great work. Thanks for organizing this series. I think it's really helpful for clinicians to get this early real world data that it's safe uh, with comparable efficacy, if not a little better drying um, uh, component, which we look forward to learning how that translates to durability. Thanks for the work, Carl. It's great. No, my what do you think? What do you think about the positioning of frisimab in a year from now? Where will it be? in the treatment hierarchy? Well, I think that all patients that were tough to treat, they were getting two to four week, whatever injection it may have been. And in Chucky, you know, those patients, 66% of them were switched from a flipper cell, from ILEA. But I think all of those tough to treat patients are going to be switched over. I mean, and why not? Why, as long as the patient's comfortable in being switched over and the doctor's comfortable, and I don't see why they wouldn't be, you know, those patients are gonna be switched over. Is it going to be first line? I think for some doctors, yes. I mean, maybe doctors who are using, you know, Lucentis commonly and felt comfortable with the Genentech product would move to first line Babismo. But I think first line, any of the drugs, people generally have a decent response, some better than others. You know, and the question is, is and we're going to learn more about the ANG2 component to Babismo. And that may dictate where you know, the position of this drug will be in the future. Seeing stability after the loading doses, seeing how many patients we can get out to, you know, Q12 and Q16 weeks safely, you know, will dictate where this is. You know, I, you, we, we know the two-year data um, from view one and view two that, you know, we had a fair amount of patients in the second year that were able to get out to Q12 weeks with ILEA, which is a fantastic medication. But for those patients that are stubborn with recalcitrant fluid, I think Vibismo is going to rise up the ranks for that type of patient, especially. Good insights. I agree. It's nice to have another tool in the toolbox. There are a lot of patients that are getting frequent injections with Lucentis, Ilea, or Avastin looking for something else. It's nice to be able to offer them something. I completely agree. So how many investigators are there in the Truckee trial right now? about 15 and we're, we're uh, adding some actually in the meantime you know people have come and, up since asrs and want to join so and the horizon for this is several years of follow-up that's the goal and we also want to add uh dme patients to a, a sister study called tahoe um that's being organized currently and you know, we haven't talked yet about dme but you know we want to have data for for both disease states you know, over the years, showing safety, efficacy, and durability, and just seeing what things, where things play out. Because, you know, the real world is not a clinical trial. You know, the clinical trial was an excellent, you know, the Tanai and Lucerne trials were wonderfully designed. And, and so was the Yosemite and Ryan for DME, where you had the PTI, the personalized treatment interval arms, but their retreatment criteria may be different you know, than it would be for a certain physician in the real world. So we're going to see how it plays out, you know, and, you know, I think it's promising, you know, for both disease states, you know, and uh, hopefully we'll have the data for, for years to come.
Well, thank you, Carl. This has been a great discussion, and we look forward to staying tuned with Truckee. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.